Hi and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roost, and this is the show where we explore what it means to really do work you love, the ups, the downs, the mistakes, the things that we're very not too proud to say out loud, but this is the real deal, and that's why I love this show. First of all, I wanted to say a huge thank you for all your birthday messages that you've sent me over the last few days since I released my episode, the special birthday edition episode, celebrating the two-year anniversary of the podcast. What? So that's pretty amazing. I've got really, really great guests on today, Leanne Spencer. I'm going to get in a bit more about her profile and why I'm excited about it. But I also wanted to let you know some exciting news. There's a person I've been meaning to get in touch for a while that I've really wanted to get on the show, someone that I've been following for a few years and that I just really enjoy his style, his work and kind of the messages and the content he puts out there. And his name is Noah Kagan and he's going to be coming on the show in August and I just cannot wait to get him on the show. I think he's going to be an amazing guest. And as such, I wanted to throw it out to you. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask Noah Kagan, if you don't know who he is, he was the employee number 30 of Facebook. He was employee number five at Mint. And he was also the founder and the head sumo at AppSumo, AppSumo.com. Awesome little resource for entrepreneurs out there. So check him out. And if you've got some questions you want me to ask, me, if you want me to ask some questions, let me know. You can tweet them, you can email me, you can Facebook post them, Facebook message me. You'll find a way to get these questions to me. I I know that you're resourceful. That's why you're listening to this podcast because you're scrappy, like just insanely talented, creative, awesome person. I know that for a fact. And I've got a few updates that I want to share with you, which I feel very excited about. First of all, the TEDx talk, people have still been asking me. It's on its way. I've had confirmation from the TEDx organizers that the TEDx YouTube channel have just to approve the show, that it's been uploaded, and now it's just pending for their approval. So that should be really, really exciting. In the meantime, I found a behind-the-scenes video that TEDx Cardiff put together along with their video partners. You can go and check it out in the show notes of this episode. It's really, really cool. It's three minutes, pretty amazing content. It just gave me some goosebumps just re-watching it, which felt really, really cool. The other exciting news is that about, I'm going to do an episode about this because this was quite a funny experience. I'll do like a soda round about it. But maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe 10 days ago, I ended up going and applying for uh, an accelerator called the Entrepreneurial Spark. And it's an accelerator funded by NatWest. And the one of my friends in Leeds is doing it. Big shout out to you, Karen, if you're listening. And one of my clients over in Bristol also is doing it. Big shout out to you, Andrew. And it was just this incredible feedback I heard from them about the Entrepreneurial Spark. So I checked them out and they just opened up a office space or a kind of an incubator in London. And I just applied, didn't think much too of it. And next thing you know, I get invited to the interview round, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I'll do a whole interview about this. It ended up being a pitch and I had to pitch the unconventionalist. And I felt like I walked into Dragon's Den thinking I was walking and having a cup of tea uh, with someone that you were about to meet. So I was so unprepared. I felt terribly embarrassed. And I promised myself that I would never, ever enter a conversation like that again, feeling so unprepared. So I'll I'll tell you more about that in, in a bit. Can't wait to share my experience with you. Uh, The other great news is that those of you who know I've trained previously with the co- uh, with the Coaches Training Institute, also known as CTI within our community. It's, I believe, in my opinion, by far the best training school for coaches out there. They have such a tremendous amount of uh, devoted coaches out there who are just doing some amazing work. And anybody you meet who's done the CTI program or the coaching program with them will tell you it's just an amazing organization. And I was invited. 
Actually, my partner and I were both invited to go and audition as the front of the room leaders to become a faculty of CTI. And it's, it's a great honor and a privilege to be asked, to be honest. And uh, I'll, again, I think I'll probably mix that with the, the previous comment about the accelerator. I'll do a, a whole episode about that. But the good news is after a full day of, of amazing auditioning, when we flew to Barcelona and we were in a room with some just incredible, talented leaders from all over the world. People flew in from Philippines, Dubai, uh, and so forth, and 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 we got just got the confirmation saying that we have been accepted, and I have been accepted. So super, super grateful, totally crazy. So that means that I'm going to get to do some work with the faculty at CTI and teach some of their courses uh, over the coming months and and the beginning of the year. And it's just going to be a long kind of training process, but very excited about that because I think they're doing phenomenal work, and I'm very excited to get behind. And in fact, if you can go back to a couple of the faculty members' episodes on the show, have come. Sam House, go and check out his episode, amazing, and Dory Ben Shanoch, it's those two guys, just great episodes, you can check them out in the early episodes, and um, yeah, so that's very exciting, very, very excited. Um, the other one I wanted to say is that there's going to be a Q&A session at the end of this episode, so make sure to stay tuned where I answer one of your listeners, one of you who's listening to this podcast has submitted a question, and I'm going to answer it, and if you want to get your question asked, if you want to get me get my expert advice or my opinion on anything that you're going through, a problem challenge with getting your project out there, getting your message out into the world, the challenge, the ups and downs or what have you, then submit that question and I'll do my very, very best to give an honest answer at the end of each episode in my little Q&A round. So that's enough from me. That was an update. I want to let you know I'm very, very excited about it. Now, today's guest is Leanne Spencer. And I'm very excited, actually, to share with you this episode because when I was received an email uh, being asked if I'd be interested in getting me on the show. And, and I was kind of looking at the profile, I said, yeah, that looks good. You know, fitness, okay. And then I saw a TED talk. She gave a TEDx talk, uh, which you can go and check out, which will be in the show notes called Why Fitness is More Important Than Weight. And what I really loved about Leanne is that she brought an amazing angle to this question that I've been struggling with. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that by far one of my favorite topics is health and fitness and well-being and our relationship to our body, to food, and and really just openly talking about that. And she actually brought a really interesting point, which was, what if instead of, of what we usually do, what if we shifted our focus from seeing what our body could do, could achieve, rather than what it looked like? And it sounds so simple, but what an amazing shift that was. And so we sat down, and I was just amazed at hearing Leanne's incredible story of how she overcame humongous adversity she was treated for alcoholism in 2012, had a, a, an, ex, 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 an excessive sales corporate job for 17 years, being very good at what a job, you know, working in the city, burning the candles at both ends. And then how, through exercising, she rediscovered really her voice. And this episode, I believe, is not just about reclaiming your health and reclaiming your body and your sanity and what have you, but more importantly, it's owning who you are, telling the world who you are, and being more at peace with who you are. And it's a beautiful reminder that we are all on our journeys, no matter how big or small, we all have our struggles, and there's always light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm extremely honored and excited to share with you today's guest. I give you the one and only Leanne Spencer. Leanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. So cool to, to have you on the show. And it's a, I'm, I'm always loving to be introduced to people. Um, and apologies again that it took us a while to get here because I had to cancel on that here. Cool. But very loving the color of your t-shirt. 
Thank you. Very L- cool. Lime green for anyone wondering. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyone who listens to the show knows how much I geek out and how much I love talking to anybody involved in the health, wellness uh, kind of area or industry. And, uh, and I think you've got such an interesting story. And stories is what I love. Mm. Um, you know, if we go back to a few years back, you were in sales. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. Like 17 years. Yeah. So in the city. Yeah. And you were treated, if I'm not uh, mistaken, in March 2012 for alcoholism. Yes. Yeah. Um, how did you get to that place? Well, um, over a long period of time, I would say. I mean, without getting into the, uh, is alcoholism something that, that's response to, to nature or nurture? And are you predisposed genetically or is it environment? But um, speaking specifically about the alcohol, um, I'd, I started drinking quite young, which I think, you know, your brain's still forming. And at 15, 16, it doesn't need to be skewed with <laughs> binge drinking. Um and I'd always been the one who was drinking more than anyone else. Mm. I wanted to have the bonus drink, you know, well after the party's <laughs> over. And and that kind of escalated. University, I did English literature. So eight hours a week um, is not a lot of study. Sure. And reading books in between. So that was really a, a little bit of a hotbed for, for alcohol consumption as well. And then moving into a career like sales, that... In some ways, no one's expecting you to drink a huge amount every day, but mm. it's a role where alcohol is encouraged. Yeah. It's part of the culture. Networking, you're going yeah. to venture holding a glass. Yeah, a client yeah. spends money with you, you take them out. Yeah. Um, and But I could, I can't blame the environment and I can't blame the role or um, sure. the companies. You know, No one's sure. saying drink up to three bottles of wine a night, which is where I'd got to with it. Um, I think looking back, and this has come from a period of years of hindsight, mm. um, that it was unfulfillment doing something that uh, it wasn't an authentic mm. representation of me, mm. including, you know, you obviously your listeners can't see what I'm wearing now, shorts, T-shirt, basically, <laughs> but and short hair. And I had long hair. I was three and a half stone heavier. I'd wear skirts and heels and tights to work, you know, none of which is me at all. And <laughs> I think over time, yeah. something like that can, uh, can erode your, your mm. sense of self. And I think I was masking a lot of that with alcohol, that, that deep unsatisfaction mm. and unfulfillment and lack of authenticity. Um, and boredom, mm. of course. And I'm, I would attribute those things really to the eventual escalation of my yeah. drinking. And um, were you aware of it? So when, when you're going through this period of your life and you kind of, you know, I remember I, I, I listened to a bunch of your talks online. And uh, I think you explained at one point where you didn't close the deal that you were meant to close. Mm. Um, you know, and you're going back to the office, I think, where you're going back home and you're thinking about quitting your job. And I think that's before you quit. But mm. were you aware that this was a drinking problem? Oh, like did, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, my, I mean, I o- I'd always been a heavy drinker. So to, to quantify that, in the last few years, certainly it was March 2012 when I gave up uh, for the third time and the final time. But for the years preceding that, I'd been drinking probably a bottle of wine a day, mm. um, whether it's a glass at lunch and not the remainder of the bottle, but, you know, another couple of glasses <laughs> or a bottle in the evening. Yeah. But so it definitely been building up. And I was aware of it certainly in the last five years. And then my brother had an incident which was linked with alcohol uh, okay. where he was in hospital and critical care for five days. And I then went back and it was actually an alcohol-induced seizure that had been believed he'd had. And I didn't even know these things existed. So I went home um, and I Googled it, and then you obviously you come across different websites that give you a checklist, 20 things to check to yeah. see if you've got a problem with alcohol. And I scored highly on all of them. Um, and then I thought, hmm. And it was a few months after that that I gave up for the first time. Mm. Um, and I was an outpatient detox, on an outpatient detox program, which basically means you're given medication, um, which you take to mitigate the withdrawal effects, and then you stop. Yeah. 
Uh, and that lasted for about seven months. Um, the second time I was in my, what was my last city job, I gave up for three months, um, but I just ran out of excuses I could give at work and I had a, a networking event coming up. Hmm. And I thought, well, how am I going to play this? Hmm. Um, no one was pressuring me at work to drink, by the way. I mean, don't be quite clear about that. But I'm probably, there was a little little part of me saying, oh, maybe you're going to be all right. You can go back to, sure. you can start afresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But F- no. FYI, you don't start <laughs> afresh. You know, yeah. It's literally like a candle. If it's burnt down, mm. you don't light it and it kind of goes, go on then, you can have a bit more wax to play with. It, you pick up where you left off. Wow. So if you've burnt it down pretty yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, so anyway, I, I kind of negotiated with myself about this networking event. Maybe I just have one, I carry it around. But if I'm going to have one, I don't want to have that one in front of clients and colleagues yeah. when I haven't had anything for three months. So the week before I'll have one. And then I'll have a couple and I'll build up a little tolerance for this networking event, which, of course, sounds laughable in hindsight. And um, and then, boom, you're right back drinking where you picked up from. Mm. And then the climax of it all came in, in March 2012 when I'd been in a new job for nine months and I was on extended probation. And they'd given me a fa- fairly hefty but achievable number to hit if it yeah. was all going to go well. Your KPIs, like the kind of numbers you're supposed to hit? And the in sales, it's yeah. pretty simple, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the KPIs that lead to the big number, which is you need to hit this much revenue. Okay. You know, month, That's your quarter. budget. Yeah, yeah. yeah Target, it's your yeah. budget number, yeah. And the KPIs leading up to that are how many meetings are you doing, how many sales conversations are you sure. having. But really, it's you can have one sales conversation and generate the number and they're yeah. happy. Um, so I had this number to hit and I was on track to hit it. And the, the deal that was going to get me over the line was with a third-party provider who was building a system that I was going to feed the data into. Mm. And I had this meeting on Friday afternoon in March, and I went to the meeting, and my contact told me pretty soon into that meeting that this deal wasn't going to happen. His client had pulled out, so they didn't need my data. Very sorry. Look forward to doing business with you in the future. So as I came out of that meeting monument, and I walked over London Bridge, and it was a you know, very unordinary um, Friday afternoon. There were people rushing across the bridge both ways, mm. grey, windy. Um, I just thought, I, I think I'm done here. I, I know that I'm going to have to feed that information back to my sales manager and it's going to be a difficult conversation. Yeah. And by the time I got home, um, I looked at myself in the mirror, three and a half stone overweight, as yeah. I said, chronically abusing alcohol and burnt out, really. So I took that as my opportunity to get out. And, and I got to a place with, with the drinking where you're very tired. Mm. Um, Were you, you know, functioning? I, I, yes, sadly. Mm. Yeah. But you know, I might shake in the morning. Yeah. So there were there were th- very stressful having to conceal all of that. Sure. Um, and I think it just comes a point where I, I think it was going to come up on the radar anyway, mm. work-wise. So I thought, let's just call, you know, put, put yeah. the plug on this yourself. So is this, by this point, had you discovered boxing yet? Or did that come later? Yeah, I had discovered it. I'd been going to, I always maintained a level of health and fitness, mm-hmm. um, despite the many years of drinking. Um, and I'd been going to the same boxing gym that I still go to. In fact, was in this morning. I've been going there twice a week for a decade. No now, way. Unless I'm out of the country. Mm. Uh, pra- perhaps doing one a week, but yeah. that's my staple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, yes, I had been going in there, but just, I mean, God knows what it was doing to my heart. Because after a big old Friday <laughs> night, I'd be in there Saturday morning, boxing, burpees. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did, I did maintain that. Yeah. Um, but the value in that exercise really came when I was living a much, you know, when I was... Sure. Of alcohol. Because th- there's a there's um there's a documentary or like an interview on IT I forgot what the channel was. ITV. ITV, that's a yeah, where you're interviewed. Mm. You've got like a cap on. Yeah. When was that? Was that That was about five years ago. Okay. So um 
you, you can see I kind of look a bit different in, even in yeah, now. Yeah. It's hard to tell with a camera. 100%. No, no, but you definitely look, you 100% look, you, you, yeah. you looked a bit more puffy back yeah. then. And, um, yeah. That like was sh- yeah, I do. Um, that was shortly afterwards. And um, that was a fun interview to do, actually. They'd come in to film a piece. So, yeah, it was 2012 because it was during the Olympics. Yes. And their whole piece was women getting into boxing. Got it. Um, and I'd been in there doing some sparring and they interviewed me afterwards. So that was yeah. Because did do. you, uh, did I make this up or did I read or hear somewhere that you were offered to do a white collar boxing match? Yeah, I did one. And you did one? Yeah. <laughs> that was in June 2014. Yeah. Hang on with my dates at the moment. Yeah. Um, that was that was great. I mean, the lead up to that, there was several months of um, of preparation for that. And it's, um, I'm 68 kilos when I fought, still am. And it's quite hard to find someone of the similar weight. Mm. I sparred with mainly men. Um, and then I got a match up and, were, and then it would fall through. And I got a match up and it would fall through. But anyway, th- the date finally came around. Um, and it's a really interesting experience learning to spar. Sure. Because to start with, I've done a few talks on it. You get into the ring and you're just getting battered. It's horrible. You're getting uppercutted, hooked, so yeah. it's under the chin, around the side of the head full in the nose yeah. it's revolting and you just have to keep taking these shots yeah. until you learn one of the basic tenets of boxing which is keep your hands up yeah. defend yourself at all times yeah, yeah. but when you're thinking about throwing punches defending the body defending it's the horrible. head you've got too much going on but there comes a point where you get a bit pissed off with um with getting caught and yeah. you learn to keep your hands up and I think also like your adrenaline drops a little bit like I think it's when you start sparring it's super tense and you're super stressed and all your shoulders and you're, yeah. you're like super tense everywhere and then the more you kind of get used to a little bit a little bit of a few hits and you maybe relax a bit more into it yeah. and then your breathing comes back a bit yeah. I don't think it stops the hit but then I love what you said about the, um, the hands keep your hands up yeah. golden rule Basic rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I a bit like business it's like starting a business you get hit all the time yeah, and yeah. Go, oh my god <laughs> it's, very, it's very similar I did a talk for KPI that we we mentioned earlier um, about entrepreneurship being a bit like boxing. Yeah, and I drew a, a strong parallel. Oh my god! I, yeah, I, I used to, I gave a talk a few years ago about um, entrepreneur like MMA because mm. I, I didn't I didn't do boxing. I used to do mixed martial arts and right. um, and I hundred percent agree. And for people who don't know who KPI is, it's the how to become a key person of influence. And um, if you've listened to the show for a while, then you know that Daniel priestley has been on the show, mm. um, one of the co-founders and the CEO of, of Dent uh, Global. Now I think they're called Dent Global. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you, so you, and then you decided, so you've ditched your job at the city. Yep. You're then got yourself into, is it rehab? What's the, what's the technical term for? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I'd had six weeks in a, a place in Lowestoft, which I actually quite enjoyed. I mean, uh, my partner used to say at the end of each day, how's it been? I'm just like, oh, just another day in rehab. <laughs> I mean, the whole point is they're very, uh, they're the same. Is it routine or? It's very routine. Is it? Yeah. yeah it's very routine. Um, yeah. there'll be a bit of variety across the weekend, but the weekdays are very similar. Because um, I, I must imagine it's like one of the things about alcohol is just a r- available everywhere and it's within our culture. It's like mm. a cultural thing. So I'll oh, have a drink, come and have a pint or mm. I worked in companies. And again, I think I, I, I can mirror what you said about it's not the company, but there's something about the culture sometimes. Yeah. I remembered myself at times I would order a glass of water in a gin and tonic glass with a lime inside to pretend like I was drinking gin and tonic because mm. I just couldn't handle all this drinking. Mm. I didn't want to be drinking because I was maybe I was training or something like that. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. <laughs> and how, so how did you manage? So once you came out of those six weeks yep. and you had to be back into functioning society, um, how was that for you? Well, I mean, pretty easy. I I got on with it in rehab. And the, the fundamental thing actually is that w- when I walked into those doors in Lowestoft, that Lowestoft centre, I was ready to stop. Mm. Um, mm. So, and that's the main thing. 
I mean, I, most of the people that I was in there with, it's a cohort of about 24, I think. Uh, one's now dead. One's in prison on a murder charge. Uh, and the other 22, I would guess, vast majority have relapsed. Wow. And I don't know what's happened to that's them since. That's the stats that's are so for rehab conversion. <laughs> that said... Um, a lot of people are in there because social services have said, look, you're never, you're never getting your kids back unless you go through this program. Mm. Um, so they, they're going there and they're going through the motions, but you know full well that they're not going to, they've and got no serious intent. Yeah, and, and when you find yourself in this situation, do you look around and go, shit, this is real. Like, this is, this is it. Like, if I don't get through this, then I'm going to be back here and... Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... Actually, if I needed to, I'd go back, but... Because what it was for me was a rest. Mm. I'd got to the place where I hadn't had a breakdown, but I really stopped caring about a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, so in the four days between resigning and going into rehab, um, I was just at home drinking on my own, you know, from morning to lunchtime before passing out, yeah. waking up, you know, not not a good sight. Yeah. Um, so um, I've forgotten the third of what I was saying. About, about I was asking about if you were looking around in the room and thinking. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I would go back if I needed to, but um, no, I mean it's not a, but it's not a normal environment to be in. Um, the guy who used to run a lot of the, the sessions would say, "Look, you're in a rehab. There's very few people that go to a rehab. You know, that's where you've you've come to with it." So it didn't act as a strong deterrent. Um, okay. A strong deterrent would be that everything I've I've worked to create in the last five years wow. would go. Yeah. It would go if yeah. I was to start drinking again, because yeah. like I see an analogy with the candle, I'd yeah. pick up. Almost within a week, I'd be back where I'd started. Wow. So what's your relationship to alcohol now? Is it, is it kind of, do you kind of fear it? Are you more Frosty. at peace with it? Frosty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I'm at peace with it. But <laughs> I think culturally, we we could all learn a thing or two from, mm. you know, a lot of people have an issue with alcohol, whether that's, I have to be careful how much I drink or I tend to lose my phone after two drinks. Mm. You know, that's a problem. Um, if you end up cancelling appointments the day after you've had three drinks, that's a problem. It's not the quantity of alcohol. It's where it gets you. Um my partner drinks lightly. Um, a lot of friends still. I mean, we're all. I'm 42, and a lot of the friends who are, you know, I was very hedonistic with. Mm. I've either had kids, or they come to the same, not similar stories. Um, none of them have been treated for alcoholism, but everyone's just calmed down. Yeah. So I have a um, an okay relationship with it. I'll never touch it again. Mm. Um, I'm not under any illusion that mm. that's how it is for me, and I'm fine with that. Mm. I don't miss any aspect of. I had a good innings as well. <laughs> you know, I had a good 20 years of, <laughs> you know. Cavorting, <laughs> having a good laugh, and <laughs> drinking on a beautiful Sunday Sunday afternoon. I don't yeah. feel like someone pulled the plug halfway through the fun. And said, mm -mm. "Yeah, there's nothing like the un there's you no know, unfinished business with alcohol. There's no unfinished business. Yeah. No, I bled it, bled it dry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, what is it? It's the way I lived it. Um, you only live once, but the way I've lived it once is quite enough. That, yeah, uh, that I thought I, I, yeah. I said that butchering that quote. Um, cool. So you discover boxing, and then you decide to become a PT. Yep. Um, so it was probably, I mean, actually, it was, it was while I was in Lowestoft that I'd thought about what I wanted to do next. It, yeah. it was around three things. It was running my own business, yeah. which had always been an aspiration. Um, something that was predicated around health and fitness and that meaningfully helped other people. Did your dad used to run a business? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I'd, I'd wanted to emulate that from, yeah. from a young age. And that, I think that's where, where that desire came from. But I also thought I'd be pretty good as an entrepreneur. Um, I just didn't have an idea for quite a while. And I think I got caught up in other things. Um, well, if you master one of the most important aspects of any business, sales, yep. you're 50% there. Yes, well, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. 
<laughs> so it's finding something that was inter- intersection of those three things, mm-hmm. and that's how Body Shop came about. Um, I thought about the name. Uh, it was Body Shop Personal Training at the time. I uh, built a little website using one-on-one. Uh, that's where the lime green yeah. colour came one from. Yeah, one-on-one, yeah. Still yeah. there, yeah. Um, so built that uh, and then bought some kit, some kettlebells, a slam ball, a mat and a bike and, and went out and I was I was literally working for £25 an hour. I went in super cheap <laughs> and, and advertised on our local forum called the East Dulwich Forum. And of course, at twenty five. East Dulwich, yeah. I've got, uh, lived in Peckham. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought I heard you say something about yeah, Peckham yeah. Studio. So the, yeah, we we used to uh, yeah we used to uh, record in Peckham. And when you yeah, gave me the West Hampstead address, I thought Peckham would be more. <laughs> 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 but you obviously haven't got a studio there anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. So yeah, East Dulwich. Yeah, no, yeah. I know East Dulwich. Yeah. So, so on on the forum, uh, and obviously I got quite a bit of interest at twenty five pounds an hour. Sure. And very quickly built up. Um, a network of clients okay. um, and got, got quite busy over, over sort of 12, 18 months. The price crept up to 35, maybe sure. 40. But then I found myself in 18, mo- 18 months later um, kind of getting burnt out again. Yeah. And not for a fraction of the money. Yeah. Um, so we bought some, o- I bought some other people on board and it didn't really work largely because I hadn't done the due diligence. It's kind of, yeah, you know, you kind of sure. take the boxes on face value. So I'll give you some clients to work with. And then you take a commission on the client and, and well, I mean, they paid me and I paid the, the PT, Got it. a, a Got flat, it. a subcontractor. Got rate. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it didn't really work out bottom line. I mean, you can't just bring someone in sure. and expect them to match you culturally. Yeah. Um, and it was when my partner Antonia left her city job. Um, yeah. And she became a PT. Yeah. Now we've got two of us who okay. are solidly working on body shot. Yeah. And there's two other things I would say that really transformed it. One is the KPI process, which I, I can yeah, talk yeah. a little bit more about. Or the other one is bringing in Claire, who's our still is. It's still the three of us as the kind mm. of full time team, um, bringing her on board. And all the kind of the hiring that we've done has been from people within the client base. Okay. The small amount of hiring we've done. Because <laughs> uh, she already understood how we do things. Yeah. Know, the sort of culture and she our She was philosophies. a client? Yeah. Okay. She was, a, she, she was well, still is a chef, I suppose, but she's not practicing. And she was on the, uh, she was doing a warm up saying, do you know what? I think I'm done with chefing. It's stressful. <sighs> and, you know, a lot of drinking That is a brutal hours. environment. Yeah. And she was, yeah. Uh, she was chefing for a really good restaurant in Clerkenwell. And I just said to her, you know, have you thought about becoming a PT? She's like, mm, Okay. So she she ended up um, leaving chefing, going through the, doing the qualification, and became a PT. Yeah. And now she does um, what well we call it fitness coaching now, but in essence, it's sure. personal training. Um, and she also does operations, which she's Got great it. at. Really good at figuring out problems. You yeah. Know, like the podcast kit. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> can you make that work? <laughs> I just um, need something that I can press record and it works. Well, it kind of yeah, does, yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like which wire goes. Yeah, where exactly. Yeah, get that. Yeah. Cool. And and so then, um, so Body Shot is born. And then you're, you're realizing that, you know, and I just want to uh, talk to something really quickly about the 25 pounds an hour. Mm. It's funny because another KPI who, who came on the show, Michael Serwer, we were talking about this. Oh, I, no, I, I knew Michael like five years ago and he was like on 20 pounds an hour, yeah. 30 pounds an yeah, hour. Yeah, he was less. And yeah, and exactly. And so, and I think there's a lot of people out there who see people where they are now and they go, oh my God, they're charging like X amount of money or mm. the programs cost X, that's what I'm going to charge. And I think there's a real importance to point out to say, start small, yeah. build build your build your your results, get your get your process or get your program, whatever it is, and then start charging. You know, as as exactly you said, the more you do, the more you charge. Mm. Why do you think so many people um, go in there and almost have this? Um, is it shame the word I'm looking for? What's what I'm looking for about like starting starting low, mm. and that's not good enough. I should be charging what I'm worth, a thousand pounds an hour. Yeah. Why do you think that's wrong? Well, I think there are 
people that you can listen to or whose content you can consume that are shouting about charging what you're worth and mm. put a stupid number in front of people and see if they go for it. And I think that's fine and well when you've crafted a little bit. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't done that, you can slam a big number in front of someone and you only find out whether you're worth it or not once they've gone through the process. Yeah. Because you can put on a nice sort of facade, I'm worth seven grand, so go with me. At the end of the package, then someone will tell you whether you're worth it or not. <laughs> so you can you can fool yourself into thinking, I've just closed a seven grand client. Yeah. Ooh, you know, but... If you don't um, deliver, oh yeah, if you don't over-deliver... Yeah. Seven th- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're not worth 7k, but someone's paid it because they don't know yet what you're worth. They yeah. just kind of bought into what you've been telling them. I mean, Michael did the same kind of thing, and he he just, I mean, I'm not necessarily start super small, but what Michael did, what I did, is, is start at a rate where you know you're going to get some interest, you've got some money coming in, yeah, you're free go. Um, <laughs> and you also get to practice. And yeah. you know, if someone's paying 20, 25 quid, unlikely, if you've sat there and only said two or three guiding words, <laughs> they're probably going to walk out of there, or, or in my case, you know, 10 of this, 13 of that. They're going to come out of there thinking I had value for my sure. 25 quid. It's not sure. difficult to get value. You and say that you I just got I just got a negative review on eBay for someone who bought a pair of jeans for three pounds forty one. You're joking. No, my postage cost me more than the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so upset. Anyway, sorry. Yes. So for twenty five pounds. You mentioned Daniel Priestley. He got a bad review on Amazon for one of his books, which are exceptional because it arrived battered, which is an Amazon thing, of course. Wow. There was a knock on it in, in the post. Wow. So people do have some funny things about yeah, about that. I agree. Um, <laughs> and I think think to answer your question, you know, charge what you think is is right for what you're delivering at the time, yeah. I think. Maybe bounce that price off from other people. You know, actually, do you know what, Mark? You're worth a lot more than that. I can tell you now as a mate, mm. don't go in that low. But it's good to, I mean, what what won't happen is you won't keep those clients. They won't evolve with you. Mm. They might stay with you as, as friends, mm. you know, stroke clients, and they might still support your business. Mm. But what happened to us with the PT clients we got, we stopped at 65 and moved on to these completely different packages. Mm. And the people that came with us on at 30, 35, 49, whatever it was, haven't stayed with us, which is fine because we've, it, we're still in touch with them. Sure. You know, some of them came on the retreat we ran this year, but they don't stay with us at PT because they yeah, can yeah. get it locally. Um, and that's fine. So you won't necessarily bring those clients with you but you can do a really good job delivering value. They support yeah. you as you as you evolve, and then you can say, yeah. you know, thank you. That's great. Now, now this is what I'm looking to do. And to in essence, they Michael's clients are still getting Michael as a coach. Mine was still getting me as a PT. But sure. suddenly, it's double the price. Yeah, not many will tolerate that. But that's okay because you cut your teeth and you really know yeah, what yeah. you're doing now, um, and you, you know what you're worth. And you go out and get a new client who's willing to pay that. Yeah. I think that's true. I think it's also like your business needs to grow organically. Yeah. And I think that's what you're speaking to. I want to speak to something that you mentioned earlier that when you went back over that bridge, you went home, you look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And you were several pounds away and you thought something needs to be done. And I've also heard you say in your TEDx talk why fitness is more important than weight. Yeah. That our mirrors are ruining our lives. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I think what people are measuring a lot of their happiness on it's how they look. Mm. Um, women get this particularly toughly. You know, we're still mm. largely uh, judged by what we look like as opposed to what we say and do. Mm. Um, it shouldn't be about, in my opinion, it shouldn't be about so much what you look like, but more about what you can achieve with your body. So that's the essence of the talk. So judge your fitness functionally. I love um, that. Yeah, there's a sentence. I actually wrote it down. I think you said, um, move our focus to what we can achieve this is what we look like. Somehow, yeah. like that. Mo- uh, move the focus to what we can achieve with our bodies. Rather That's than it. What we look like. That's yeah. it. And that that really spoke to me. You know, because I think I'm I'm probably 
part of that population of people who I look at myself in the mirror and I go, oh, I don't really like what I'm seeing. Mm. Like I'm a bit wobbly here. I'm not as defined as I used to be. I'm not really in shape like I used to be. Mm. And so I'm thinking, oh, what can I do in the gym? What can I do to exercise to look yeah. better? As opposed to what you just said, which I think is fascinating about yeah. move the focus to, hey, what can my body do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you need to, to hot foot it up a hill, can you do that? It doesn't really matter what you look like. <laughs> yeah. um, if, if you you get the, you're, you're abroad, you get the opportunity to climb a, mat, uh, a volcano to see the sunset, sunrise, either. Um, <laughs> Both. You still need to climb it. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got the fitness to do that? You might look great in a, mm. I don't know, pair of shorts or whatever. Have you got the fitness to go and, and benefit from that sunrise or sunset? Yeah. It's functional fitness. And I think mm. well, that's, that's what we need to put the focus on. And that will make you much happier in yourself. You know, I know I can achieve these things. I've got, I, I've got the fitness to be able to do, and I speak about fitness in a very broad sense, not sure. just squats, lunges. Sure, sure. Um, as opposed to looking good, but not having the fitness. Yeah. And that, because th- some of the essence of that TEDx talk was about, I originally wanted to call it, and you, I know you've been through this process, you sure. know how rigorous it is, <laughs> uh, why fitness is more important than fatness. Because I think there's a lot of unnecessary attention. I mean, obviously, when you're obese mm. in that category, mm. um, then you've got some sort of health implications likely to come from that excess weight, uh, excess fat. But better to be perhaps half a stone overweight or even a stone and be functionally fit. It, arguably, that's better than being skinny but lacking fitness. Hmm. It's... um. Yeah, it's a fascinating... It's a contentious t- idea. But yeah, no, no, but I, I, it, it's a fascinating in the sense that... Um, well, two things come up to you. First, I don't know if you heard the interview with Greg Wooton. He, he came on the show. He's no, Brit- he's so. Britain's number one Muay Thai ranked champion. Um, fascinating interview. We talked about men's body image and food disorder and so forth. And um, there's such a thing as... When he started competing in fights, in, in weight category sports, his hormones went completely out of whack. And as a result, afterwards, he was binging and craving sugars and fats and all sorts. Mm. And the other thing that comes up to mind is I spoke to, uh, he's supposed to come on the show, I just forgot his name right now, just completely escaped me. He's a bodybuilder, like a like a champion bodybuilder, whatever. And every time I speak to him, like when I used to speak to him around a competition time, it just sounded like the most unhealthy thing mm. I've ever heard of. Mm. Like he goes down to 4% body fat or something yeah. stupid before the day of the problem. His skin is paper thin. He probably gets pneumonia like the next day if he doesn't like yeah. you know take his vitamins or whatever it is, and and it's just this. Why do you think as a society and, and I'm I'm going to include men in this because I think you know as a man species and seeing this also with men. Why do you think we're being sold this idea that the way you look is more important than the way you feel? Because it sells, I think. Mm. Um, it's an easier sell, you know. If you and, and also you think about a lot of the advertising. It's in airbrushed, um, people have been morphed, so they don't even look like they do. Even people who look good anyway are being airbrushed into yeah. something that's just unattainable. Um, I think it comes down to pound, shilling and pence, as a lot of stuff does, mm. you know. It makes, if I can convince you to be, be happy with the way you look, sure, you, you know, Rossi's being hypothetically, sure you've got half a stone you'd like to lose, but really half a stone is not the difference between pre-diabetic and diabetic if, if it's just half a stone. Mm. Um but yet you can live a full, happy life. You enjoy yourself. You can get up downstairs. You can run for a bus when you need to. And when your partner wants to go hiking, you're fine. You can keep up. That uh, What can I sell you? <laughs> um, but if you're deeply unhappy because the next pair of shorts are going to make your legs look great or <laughs> you know this shake will, will strip the fat off you. <laughs> I've never seen anything strip fat off anyone. But shredded shake. Shredded <laughs> shake, yeah. All this kind of stuff. That sells. 
yeah. and it's preying on people's insecurities, which wow. are also fed by the media um, and a lot of the celebrity culture, if you buy into that. That stuff sells. It's easy to prey on your vulnerabilities um, because you know a lot of people do want to look better. Um, they're insecure about, they don't put the focus and they don't derive their happiness and their approval internally in the main. Hmm. So if you get majority of your approval from yourself, yeah, we all love a pat on the back and oh, that was great, <laughs> oh, you're wonderful. Everyone likes them, I like a bit of that. But the majority of my now um, approval comes internally. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with the decisions I've made and what I'm doing and proud of some of the things I've done. Um, so it's difficult to sell me something that's going to no. make me... You know, do, you, do you feel like you're more comfortable in your own skin? Much more. Mm. Yeah, much more. Um, r- really, uh, over in the last few years, actually, um, in the sort of mm. last five years, mm. um, because I've done something like give up alcohol, mm. um, which is a, a big deal. Sure. Take control of my life and my fitness. Mm. Um, and I realize now that I was I was wearing a uniform that didn't, you know i didn't fit with and now i'm very clear about you know i'll get on stage in some converse and jeans <laughs> not to every stage obviously sure. <laughs> um but i won't dress to impress I, I will dress not to stand out perhaps um and in a corporate environment mm-hmm. you need to be a little bit more mindful of where you're walking into mm-hmm. and but even then it might be jeans jacket smart trainers so i'm much more comfortable with, with how i with my identity yeah so that is a relatively recent thing yeah yeah and that is beautiful to see and to hear as mm. well i think it's such a, such a great um also hope for people listening to this you know i think so many people listen to this can identify with this idea that there's just something that they maybe feel like it's not quite good enough mm. and like maybe that's the way they feel maybe that's the way they feel like they look like um and you actually wrote i think your first book was rise and shine yeah and when did you write that book about uh, two years ago a year ago yeah it was been just over two, two years, years ago, yeah. two years ago yeah uh which was built built around the rise method yeah that you that you created which we don't do much with anymore yeah exactly <laughs> and, and now you've got the um, second Second book that you wrote? Yeah, second book is Remove the Guesswork. Remove so I wrote the them in yeah. quite quick succession. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a third, actually, but it's nothing to do with business. <laughs> uh, but I say working on I have an idea in my head sure. for a third, but it's yeah. nothing to do with business. First one was really ab- is about burnout. So it's called Rise and Shine, Recover from Burnout and Get Back to Your Best. Um, both books were Amazon bestsellers. And the first one was, a b- as the name suggests, about burnout. But we... And my experience as well. So what are the signs? Um, what are the symptoms? Is there any link to childhood um, mm. experience? And there is quite a lot of evidence that mm. there is. So things that predispose people to burnout might be a perfectionism tendencies. Mm. Um, deriving a lot of your validation from productivity. Mm. And or measuring your self-worth yeah. through productivity. Which yeah. is always a bit of a hiding to nothing. If you're yeah. trying to do it perfectly and prolifically. <laughs> um so I, I explore some of that in the book, and I think the richest part of the book actually are the case studies, the three case studies of people who who knew me and people that didn't, who generously agreed to mm. um, submit their stories. So I mean, they are very, very good. In mm. fact, one of the case studies are kind of a her stories come full circle, um, but I, I won't won't say which. But it would be quite good at some point to update that. It's mm. a really great ending to that story. And the second book um, was written more for. The business, like the business that you're trying to build, and the message. Yeah, and more about that. Yeah, I mean, remove the guesswork is very much what we do as a philosophy. We try and take the variables out of what's going on for somebody before we work with them, um, and mm. that's through products like uh, or technology and science. 
um mainly that's how it's done um and that book uh, remove the guesswork the highly personalized approach to health fitness and nutrition mm -hmm. that puts you first mm -hmm. so in there there's things that yes some of it costs money some of it doesn't but it's really look how can i get to my the results i want quicker not in lightning speeds we sure. don't do you know health is a long game for us yeah uh not uh, we're not fatty but it's really how can i take the one size fits all uh, approach out of what i'm doing get to the results quicker because for the majority of people particularly our target audience time is their precious commodity mm. uh, i don't want to waste my time i've got three hours a week on this stuff i want to make the most of it yeah so tell t tell us someone who's listening to this has no idea about genetics mm. or how that even plays a role or not in our fitness or or genetic potential what well, i'm not quite sure what the term is mm. how a first of all, i'm just curious how did you get into that how did you how did you end up uh, getting that and second of all why does it matter for people to understand their genetic makeup or at least their predisposition to certain things in order to better understand their health? Okay. We got into it because um, partner and business partner Antonia said uh, the best ideas tend to come from her and then they <laughs> fester in a pot and then I think, that's probably a good idea actually, we should do it. <laughs> I don't claim it for my own, as is evident, but that tends to be what happens. But she said, you know, where we qualified as PTs, we're running a course on with this particular product. And she said, I think we should look at this. Mm -hmm. So fast, fast forward a little bit. I looked at it and thought, no, this is great. It's a point of difference for us. Mm. And I think that's where the market will move. In fact, mm -hmm. I interviewed the head of sports science this morning for, for our show. And he he was saying the same thing. You know, we, we believe that the cost of it will come down and everybody will. It'll be much more accessible sure. people f to test for the very reason that it just removes some of the variables and the guesswork around what's the right type of diet for me what is the type of exercise i'll respond best to mm. so, so are we talking like fast twitch muscle and that fe that's feeds into some of yeah. it yeah i want on a fitness side it will tell you your power uh, the particular test we use your power endurance ratio mm -hmm. and that is to, to a degree that's fast twitch okay twitch so it's like muscles. are you more are you, are you going to be more prone to like endurance and running yeah. longer yeah and or are you more explosive like i don't know Boxing and yeah, well, boxing is a good mixture of the two. Actually, yeah. you need both. But uh, so my profile is fifty-six power and forty-four endurance. So I would respond well to boxing. Yeah, because I've got that power—the ability to generate power. Um, yeah. you only need one punch in boxing, um, and then you've got to. Conor McGregor is going to need it in August <laughs> with Mayweather. <laughs> I was, I was going to buy Ooh. that fight. I was going to buy that fight, but with the ho homophobic and misogynistic remarks, I know it's boxing and it's trash talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think I'm going to bother, yeah. and I don't think it's going to last very long. So what, what, what's your what's your uh, yeah. Uh, so on the what's my what you, what you, prediction? Whatever prediction. it's called. Yeah. Well, it's got to be Mayweather. Decision? Or uh, is, is he shutting him down? Really? Which yeah. round? Within which round? Two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can see. I'll be generous. Okay. Um, what are you predicting? Uh, I said Mayweather, right? Yeah, yeah you yeah. said Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say uh, McGregor. Are you? Mm hmm. Well, you're an MMA. I am an MMA. Yeah. I am an MMA guy. Um, uh, just because I would, I would absolutely love to see Mayweather shut down by someone who's not a professional boxer. Right. Uh, I'm going to call it within the. Uh, I'm going to call it uh, TKO within seven rounds. Seven. Yeah. Well, it's worth you buying it then. <laughs> it's not worth me buying it. <laughs> Do I say that? Maybe, maybe I will because it's going to be... It's the biggest. It's uh, one of the it's biggest fights we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's we'll a massive occasion. But yeah. 
I mean, it, it, boxers that I admire and, and look at, like Carl Frampton, you know, he said if, if McGregor wins, it's going to be very bad for boxing. Yeah. Because it really makes a mockery. You know, a guy can come in. Yeah, it's not from an entirely unrelated no. discipline. No, no, no. But it's not but boxing. It is different. Yeah, and yeah. beat the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the game. Um, he has got a serious defence game, though. Yeah it, w- yeah, it won't be good for boxing, but... We'll see. We'll no, but see. you know what? You've always got excuses as it's not in his prime, you know, he's older, yeah. you know, all that stuff's going to come out. He'll make sure he's ready. But so. you, you never know. Look, it could, you know, because the thing, I think he's got more to lose than McGregor, personally. Because McGregor, mm. if he loses, well, he's not a boxer, he goes back to yeah. MMA. If Mayweather loses, he still makes over $100 million. What are we talking about? Yeah. Doesn't matter. That'll I mean, be it fine. Is, it's a bonkers amount of money. Sorry. Well, bo- both of them could, could retire. Well, on the subject <laughs> of DNA testing and boxing, Derek Chisora has actually been DNA tested. Okay. Um, but, for, but for your, your, you know, your, t- your listeners, I think what it allows you to do is understand what's the right type of diet. I think that's the, the okay. main thing. So somebody is struggling to lose weight. I've tried it all. You know, um, tried this diet, that diet, none of it's working. Chances are... They're eating a diet that's rich in carbohydrate and they're highly sensitive to it. Mm. Or they're eating a diet that's rich in saturated fat and they're highly sensitive to it. Or they're eating a diet that's rich in in lactose and or gluten and they have sensitivities towards it. That's typically... Right. So you 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 tweak these little things and you can go, look, we're not just telling you because it's in the books. It's like your body's not going to respond as well to this type of food. But switch it to this, you're going to see how you're going to feel amazing, you're going to have more power, more endurance. and. Wow. So I'm highly cool. sensitive to carbohydrates. So when I consume carbs, there's an enzyme in my saliva that immediately starts breaking down the carbohydrate. So by the time it gets down, it's converted into glucose. Yeah. Because I'm very sensitive to it, I've, I've the insulin has been released. It's bound onto that glucose, stuffed it into the liver and muscles. And then an excess, anything I don't need, will be stored as subcutaneous fat. So I'm more likely to store excess carbs as subcutaneous fat. Wow. Which is your first sort of big yeah, yeah. Big learn. Um, Are you more like a ketogenic kind of... Not really, no. I don't follow. I'll, I'll talk about it in a second. I don't really follow a, a, t- a type of diet. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that I am more, more I'll have a quick response to carbohydrate because okay. I'm very sensitive to them. So I'm going to get a very big spike of energy and then dump down quite quickly. Okay. So for consistent energy levels and weight management, that's a biggie. So and okay. quite often, but not always, people are highly sensitive to carbs and our yeah. diet is just very, very full of them. Oh my God. Yeah, um, I mean, particularly it, if it you haven't planned well, you go out into the high street and you'll it's be all bread. refined carbs, <laughs> yeah. pastries, breads, biscuits, yeah. biscotti, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean the diet I follow, th- th- I wouldn't give it a name really. I'd say predominantly plant-based, mm. but I do eat meat. Something I, I dance around, you know. I don't want to. The way that we we rear animals now to be mass slaughtered mm. just sickens me. So we yeah. are careful about the provenance and sure. quality of the meat we sure. eat. Try to have it twice a week. Yeah. Um, Mostly plants, so today should will be large. You should connect with uh, Tony Riddle. He's a guest that came on the show. Have you heard of this interview? No, I don't Check it so. out, Tony Riddle. Great okay. guy. Um, natural movement kind of guy. Oh, yeah, guy. that sounds interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about that, the kind of the sort of plant-based diet and natural food, all that kind of stuff. It's mm. very, very interesting. And he's he's in phenomenal shape. And, um, yeah, great. Anyway, great guy. I'll try and connect yeah, you no, guys. Yeah, okay, that'd be cool. Be cool. Um, I'll listen to the show. Cool. So, so now, and, and how much does it cost then for someone who's like a DNA test? Like how much? Well, they vary in price. I and mean, the one we offer is at the entry level 399. Yeah. So it's it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, and the main value in that, in fact, we do the test and it's a simple oral swab test. So we send you a kit, you get a little, little brush, you rub that on the inside of your cheek for a minute, post it back to the lab, the results come to us. And the real value is in 
the consultation that we do Got with it. you. So we go through the results in a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, give you an action plan. We give you some decent follow-up material as well. Um, Manage the emotional burden of hearing, I can't have cake anymore. It's like, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> I can't have cake. <laughs> yeah, we do hear that. Um, <laughs> it, one of the things it tests for is alcohol sensitivity, which ah. simply relates to... Um, whether or not you have the genetic variation allows you to convert a small amount of alcohol mm. into HDL, which is also nicknamed good cholesterol. <laughs> but people think, oh my God, I'm sensitive to alcohol. I shouldn't be drinking yeah. at all. We get all sorts of different... Or I am s- I'm not sensitive to alcohol. That, so that means I can drink, drink more. Yeah, I'm yeah that was my mother said. My own mother said I'm fine to drink, <laughs> which was hysterical. Um, so yeah, I mean, we explain what it all means. And uh, the essence of what we do within our coaching programs anyways is be a change agent. Mm. So you can intellectually understand this stuff and have that information. Yeah. And in fact, people have spent a fortune, we've seen it happen, and still not be ready to change. So yeah. we try and do a good job of weeding, of understanding where you are in that, s- in that stage. Why do you think it's so hard to change habits, even if you know that it's good for you? Yeah. Well, it comes back to the start of the conversation where we talked about alcohol. It Mm. wasn't that difficult the third time round for me to stop because I'd had enough. I'd taken it as far as I could. I knew I was at a crossroads Mm -hmm. and the other path was not, I was not going to go there. And I think if you really want to change a a habit, whether it's smoking, overeating, fundamentally, you've just got to have had enough. Um, And then you're you're ready to... uh, to try and effect that change, to do the work that's necessary to get there. Eating's always a funny one because, of course, you can't just not eat. You can't just cut it out and mm. never go near it again. Mm. You've got to find find peace with it. I'm sure you know the show you did with Fidella talks mm. a lot about that. Mm. Um, and her book talks a lot about that. Um, that's a tougher one. But the strong desire to change. And we send um, three powerful questions to people before we work with them. Um, and one is, what is your intent and why do you want it? And why do you want it now? Mm. And if people can answer those three questions, usually we know that they're ready and the answers are quite interesting. And that's designed just to provoke thought because quite often people think, I'm going to put some money behind this, this time I'm going to do it. I think that's enough, but it's not. You've got yeah. to have some really strong, compelling reasons mm. why you are no longer doing something or going to start something else. Yeah. Um, that's true. And believe it or not, money doesn't have... I mean, it, it helps. So when we really hiked up the prices of what we do, um, one of the, the impacts of that is that people do think, am I really ready to do this? Because it's <laughs> X amount. And, yeah. um, and sometimes the financial, you know, in the investment financially um, is, is as important as the emotional investment sometimes. But really, you need to have them both. Sure. Yeah. Um, Powerful combo. Yeah. So we're coming towards the end of the interview. And... Um, that went quick. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just super curious about what are you up to now? Like, I mean, this is really exciting. So this whole journey that, you know, the spectrum that you're going now and you've got this small little team and you've got an idea of a third book, which is non-business related. But where, what's the vision for Body Shot? Mm. You know, in the, in the, like, what's one, like, if you had to say to the world one of your bold missions or one of the bold dreams that you have, what would that be? Yeah. Well, there's two things. We want to be the number one choice for personalized health, fitness and well-being in the UK. Mm-hmm. That's the the big goal, the big dream. Um, the second one, I want to build a company that is sellable for X amount. I have a number. I've put it in a sealed envelope and left it with mum. So I'll yeah. either ask her to open it and say, look what I did or yeah. I won't, and she'll never know. Yeah. Um, 
whether we achieve those things remains to be seen but we have got a really clear idea now of where we're going you know we've got a very strong idea of who we who we serve mm -hmm. who our target client looks like how we go about helping them mm -hmm. we're starting to build all the assets that you need to to have a business in 24 you know, assets <laughs> 24 assets. we haven't got 24 i don't think but i'm working on it uh, but you know we're starting our podcast i've got two books out there what is it called well let's plug in your podcast what do you know what it's the called name? remove the guesswork there you go remove yeah. the guesswork when is, it, when is it out um that will be out early august okay yeah. Cool. Um, so we're starting to build all, all the assets that we need. And that's it for us. There's three of us in the core team. We have a virtual assistant who helps us as well. A couple of subcontractors yeah. um, that do some work for us. And the idea is just to, to kind of crank the handle, as Dan Priestley said. You know, we've got everything set up now. We just need to, mm. you know, I want to start doing some events. It's one thing we're not doing. Mm. We're not running events. So I went to a an event a couple of weeks ago for a TV training course because obviously video is it's got the huge traction now and yeah, we're not yeah. doing enough video. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm running a boot camp in September I think with an ex. Um, this girl, she sounds amazing. She uh, she worked for 17 years on you know those TV sales mm. shows. You know when you like, yeah. hey, this broom looks the so TV amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but she obviously did not enjoy it that much. I think I don't know how much I can say on the tape, but um. She's really cool, and she, we're going to sit down with people, and we're going to train them how to become better, more authentic salespeople in video. Right. Should be fun. Oh, okay, that'd be interesting. Um, well, we're doing more video, so it's it's really about building. How can we, we get to that goal? I haven't put a time frame on that goal because I've, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve things, and you know, by this, and I was following a lot of entrepreneurs that were going on about, if you're not doing 18 nowadays, you're not committed. You know, I can see a book by a guy that talks about... Fuck him. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I like him. I'm, I'm, when I say fucking, it, it's respectful. And what I say by that is, I I I have a big pet hate pet hate with that. I actually part of my talks I always talk about. Um, some people will tell you you need to do 18 hour days and that you're basically a loser if you're sleeping mm. more than three hours a night. Great if that works for them, then let them. But I've seen so many people as a result of that feeling miserable. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh my God, I've looked at all these vlogs every day. I spend more time looking at vlogs than on my business. Yeah. And I'm like, stop yeah. watching vlogs, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I mean, sorry. also, yeah. it's finding finding what works for you. And actually, as soon as I calm down a bit, because I like to operate where I can look out the window and see a sign that says too much, question mark. Mm. You know, I like to run myself close to the wire. Mm. But you've got to make sure you don't get too close to it. Um, it's, and a it's a thin line, huh? Yeah, it is. And you've got a finite, you've got a pot of energy. And if you've drawn 40% of that energy out to smash yourself on a big endurance event at the weekend, you've got 60% left. And I just sort of twig into this. It's mm. not two pots, one for physicality and one for uh, the sure. stress of running a business. Sure. So you've got, to, you've got to pace yourself. And as soon as I just chilled out about all that a bit, you know, listen to this, this chat we're talking about. It makes it talks a lot of sense around social media. Sure. But I actually, I don't want to run myself into the ground. If it takes us 15 years when it could have taken us 12, who cares? And it's also the quality of life, isn't it? It's massively about yeah. that. I mean, exactly. Um, and actually, if you're enjoying every single day while you're building and progressing, yeah. that's it. Yeah. If you're standing still, well, I'm not going to stand still, but if you're, if you're progressing, and we do progress at a fair old yeah. rate, but we also have a nice culture where no one leaves after five. I'll box around, so I might do a few hours tonight because I know Friday afternoon I'm, I'm not going to. So that's the joy mm. of being an entrepreneur. Sure. It's not nine to five, five days yeah. a week. But we have a pretty nice culture, which the challenge will be, can we maintain that as we grow? Where uh, we had a meeting before I came here and we, we were out on the roof terrace having that meeting in the sun. You know, you, you, nice culture where we actually try and embody all the aspects, the philosophies of health, fitness and sure. well-being that we espouse to clients. So, Well, you, you know what Daniel believes, you've got 12. Get 12 people after that 
it's uh, it's yeah. a very different story. You yeah. should listen to the interview. Haven't seen if you haven't heard it, where he talks about um, the challenge of the thirteenth thirteenth <laughs> person yeah. to join the team. Then what are you um what are you proud of? Um, I'm proud of my sobriety. Mm. I'm proud of my health. Mm. I'm proud of the business. Um, I'm proud of the relationships, actually, first and foremost, that I have in my life. That That is in reverse order or some order. <laughs> but the relationships, actually, I think that the true measure of a successful or rich life is the quality of your relationships. Mm. Um, there's very little point having a lot of money, but no one wants to know you because you're an arsehole. Um, I think yeah, I've got some very strong relationships with people, lots of friends. So, yeah, that that most of all. Cool. I um, Yeah, I just I just love the fact that first of all, we got connected because um, I sometimes get random requests from people. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know about that. And then mm. I looked at your profile and I just think it's really cool what you've been doing. I love your story. It's a, it's a beautiful story. There's struggle in it, but there's also huge courage. And I think that's what really came out for me is like this huge courage of actually coming home to who you are. You know, you talked about I used to wear dresses and long hair and all this stuff. I've got shorts. I've got my short. And I love it. You know, mm. it's so cool to see that because I think not only through your work, you're getting to do this great impact, right, of changing people's lives through yeah. the health and fitness. But I think it's more than that. I think it's deeper than that. It's like, you know, um, something about accepting who you are, coming home to you, who you are. And the more you do that, the the less, um, what do you call them, like, like uh, um Ah, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Something that... Uh, numbing. Hmm. The less numbing you need, right? Yeah, it's like yeah absolutely. Whether that's alcohol, <laughs> sex, or drugs, or whatever it is. Um, and I really hope that you get to get to your vision. Thank I think you. it's really exciting. I think it's a very compelling vision. I think um, you seem very determined. Um, I mean, you did go for a white-collar boxing match, so, you know, yeah, so I believe... Yeah, it was a draw, Was it? Yeah. It's a victory. It was a great experience. It's <laughs> <laughs> Undefeated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the way Undefeated. I see it. <laughs> Undefeated white collar box. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Leanne, if you listen to the show, you know my final questions. Um, one of them is, what do most people don't know about you? Mm, I didn't think about this. Um, well, the one that I... People not know about me. Well, I love snooker. I mean, that's a funny <laughs> thing to a funny thing to love. I actually had to. So I'm a diversity role model, um, which is basically you go into schools and you, you're part of a workshop that uh, tries to counter um, homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying. Mm -hmm. And they ask you for four things and that people you know, that would surprise the kids. And um, I said to to Claire, who, who's part of the team, you know, can you think of anything? And she said, Well, you love snooker. That's really weird. <laughs> so there we go. I love snooker. Um, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um if you could if you could send a letter um to Leanne pre two thousand twelve, what would the header read? Hmm. Oh, good question. I don't know. And I, I do know the questions, but it's the only the unconventional one that I've I stood out. <laughs> so I haven't questions as you can see um do it now mm. probably mm. um yeah or take control or something like mm. that yeah. yeah um for someone listening to this who are thinking about changing their lives who want to start their own business but they haven't pulled the trigger yet mm. what do you want to tell them um Well, I would suggest that they go for it, but not necessarily immediately. I mean, there are things that you can, you know, be intelligent about it. Mm. Um, I think 
you know, Dan Priestley, again, it's an entrepreneur's revolution. It's very easy now to run your own business from your own front room. Um, so it's a great time to start a new business and it's extremely liberating if you're done with a nine to five in the corporate world. But don't just leap into it, you know. Um, mm. I did, but then my hand was forced, really. <laughs> mm. um, if you can do it as a side hustle to start with, then do. Um, but I would, I think probably the best, uh, be careful who you emulate and be careful who, who are your muses. Mm. You know, to our earlier point, um, don't just do it your way mm. or get some advice and support from people you know and trust and do it that way yeah. and see how that works for you. But um, I've had to be careful about you know, the people that I follow and, t- and start following a different type of entrepreneur, more yeah. heart-centered entrepreneur. Who do you, f- who'd you follow now? Uh, Dan Priestley is yeah. he I love every word that comes out of his mouth <laughs> because he's a, he, he's a decent guy as yeah, well yeah, you know you man. see him promoting animals and equality and yeah. and he talks a lot of sense about business um who else you know Gary V we talked about him for social media makes sense but I have to dip in and dip out with him because he's mm. so brash mm. um I wouldn't really call him a mentor or a muse yeah um, but I'll tell you what though um quickly on 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 Gary on Gary V um so I went to go and see him speak. He came to speak in London. I was there. Your call. Yes. Yeah. Were I you there? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I went in the ring after and had like a, a exchange a few words with him and stuff, and I was really surprised how different he was. I imagine he's a really nice guy. He, he felt way more like nice and much mm. more kind of like, um, it's weird the word I'm looking for, but like almost kind of like yeah, just uh, oh, it was just like really nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like uh, he was he was very different yeah. than like this kind of. You're a fucking loser. Because, <laughs> you know, you wake up at 7 a.m., you think you're bossing it. It's like, oh, I hate myself. <laughs> I think he's got this his on-stage persona, like a lot of a lot of people have, you know, whether you think that's a good thing or not. Yeah. Um, and I imagine he probably is a nice guy, and it's phenomenal what he's done. It, it contradicts his advice, you know. Yeah. I think I agree with a lot of what he says. Be patient. <laughs> Stop complaining. Completely agree. Mm. But then he's built this business to, what is it, £150 million business in four years? I mean, that doesn't, there's no patience in that. Yeah. Um, but yep, you know. yeah, I agree, and I think, and I, I love what you said about be careful who you follow because it's a bit like if you're in, I don't know why I'm going with this metaphor, but you're in the jungle and like you're trying to emulate another animal, and you're like, but you're not, we're not exactly the same animals, and mm. I'm just going to struggle. Like if I if I'm a lion, I've got to f- swim. I'm probably going to hate it. Mm. Or something like that. I don't know. That's about as good as the metaphor is going to get with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what you mean. Yeah. What's um, um final question? What does being unconventional mean to you? So I did think about this, <laughs> and I think um, I thought about something. I thought, "Well, that's really good," and I forgot. <laughs> <about it. laughs> but I, th- I think what it, it would be ha- unconventional to me means having the, the the strength and the integrity to do your own thing. I think mm. there's a lot of people doing the conventional thing, mm. whether that's in their relationships or in their career or anything. You know, they're kind of doing what a lot of other people are doing, what they're expected to do. Mm-hmm. I admire people who go against the grain and, and they they do something that's perhaps challenged them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was, I didn't think I'd want to fall for that person. And they're not what I expected, not the, the gender I expected, or or I never thought I'd end up in this type of role. But having the strength to, to actually think, well, I'm going to go with it. That's that's unconventional. Yeah. I think that's it's having the be willing to celebrate diversity and not let fear get in the way of your decisions. It drives so many negative behaviours. Yeah, I think having the the strength and the the integrity of, of self is unconventional. Love that. That's a beautiful answer. Then, where do you hang out most online, and where can people connect with you? So. The bodyshopperformance.com is our website um, the social links are on there but we're at bodyshopperformance on Instagram at bodyshoppt on Twitter um, 
and Facebook Body Shop Performance Limited. Cool. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been Thanks a real honour. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. I was super honoured that Leanne would share her story so openly and she just was so willing to roll with the punches, no pun intended, when it came down to me asking questions and I was just so fascinated and curious about what was really going on and I love the fact that how her, her coaching business has just evolved and how she's become an Amazon bestseller, how she's been invited to go and give talks and how she's now even an advocate and ambassador for diversity and I just think this is an amazing example of someone who's managed to find somehow an ounce of strength in them to turn around the stories and I think it's never too late to own your story to rewrite the chapters of the story in a way that you want and to go out there and do the work that really means something to you so I feel so privileged to have sat down with Leanne and I also feel extremely honored to get to share that with you okay so today's question is from Mary and one of the questions what she was asking me is how do you keep creating content and how do you keep it fresh now this is a question that I find really, really exciting because how do you end up getting constantly topic about, let's say you've got a very clear niche, okay? So let's say you, you, you're, one of your businesses is about dogs or it's about pets. I don't know what it is, right? But let's say you've got a very specific topic. How do you keep on writing and creating content that keeps exciting and fresh? Well, there's a couple of things that I think about that. First of all, I think that one of the things I tell all my students and all my clients and everyone I work with, and I, taught, and I was uh, taught this by Karina Gordon-Barnes, is that actually you think about all the questions that you've ever heard about the very thing that you're doing, whatever problem that you're trying to solve, whatever mission you're on, whatever is your quest, the message you're putting out in the world, what are some of the most common questions that you get all the time? And if that doesn't help, think about some of the questions that you had at the start of your journey. Because most of the time, people that you're serving are people who were like you just a little bit before than where you are right now. Maybe it's a few years back, maybe it's 10 years back, maybe it's just a few months back, but most likely you've gone through a journey of transformation and discovery that you get to share back with the people in your community. And so writing down those questions actually is a huge gift and a huge asset. Take five minutes right now after this podcast, pause whatever you're doing and spend five minutes on a piece of paper and write down all the questions that you can think of that you always hear over and over and over again, right? So I'll give you an example. When I launched my, my uh, workshop on how to launch your own podcast and how to smash it with your podcast, I was thinking about all the questions I've ever heard my friends tell me about when they ask me about my podcast. It's like, what kind of microphones do you use? But like, how do you know if you've got something interesting to say? What if you hate the sound of your voice? All of these questions, I wrote them all down and that became the content of my actual course. So that can become some really interesting content for your community. Just simply turning those questions into content. So let's say one of the questions that you have is, um, I don't know, for example, how, like for example, Leanne today, right? So how do I get in shape when I'm 40 years old and I feel like I've tried everything? Well, the title of your blog post or your podcast or your vlog can be what to do to get in shape when you're 40 and you've tried everything. And then you can do the whole, you know, um, what they call BuzzFeed kind of thing is like seven things you didn't know about being fit at 40 or three incredible excuses everyone makes that you can bust today. You know, you can change around your copy. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about here today. But that's one way of keeping it fresh by keep on coming up with some questions. The other thing you can do is you can make it uh, re relative to the topics that are happening in the news. So I know this is weird, but stand-up comedians are so good at this. So when I lived in South Africa, I used to spend and hang out a lot of my time in stand-up um, kind of gigs and that's how I got to hang out with Trevor Noah and 
it was this incredible thing that you would see something that happened in the news and some of the most talented MCs and stand-up comedians would use that in their material and make it really relevant and it was really funny. So you can look at what other your content is today and maybe you want to see what's happening in the news. So I'll give a really quick quick example, okay? So uh, imagine you were one of the people who, like me, felt extremely stressed at the idea of Donald Trump being elected as president. So let's say that happened and it's obviously a stressful thing. So you could write a topic that day that said, how to manage stress, especially when around president's elections, uh, that will impact your health negatively. So you can play around with that. People like, like Gary Vaynerchuk speak in his book, Jab, Jab, Right Hook, very eloquently around the idea that marketeers and brands should jump on trends. And he gave the example, the very famous example, I think it's uh, Oreo, that during the Super Bowl, uh, the entire stadium lights went out and Super Bowl's team within seven minutes, I think it was something ridiculous, managed to pump out a an amazing creative on Twitter saying, no worries, you can dunk them in the dark or something like that. And it just went viral. And it was an amazing example of using a topical um, situation to, to create a huge buzz around it. So those would probably be my best tips is to keep asking questions around your community, keep asking questions about yourself, what you had beforehand. And what I found to be true is that the more I write, the more I talk, the more I do videos, the more I get content. And the other way that you can go about it, this is a bit more cheeky, you can go online, you can go on YouTube, you can go on Google, type in some of the questions that you might have and see what are the most topical questions that come up, what are the biggest questions that come up. And those can be titles for some of your blog posts, or some of those can be some great questions you can go on to. You can go on blogs, you can go on communities online, you can go on Facebook groups, see what the conversations are happening. And actually, going on Facebook groups is a great idea. Go in there, see what people are talking about, what are the questions they have, what are the challenges they have. Write down some of the questions, go and write a blog post and say, hey, I saw your question and I just thought that this this might be helpful. I did this for you, you know, and then name that person in your blog post. Just make it super personable. There you go, Mary. I hope that was helpful. I really love this Q&A round. So please send me your questions. Let me know how I can help and I'll do my very best to answer your questions and hopefully help you get unstuck. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, make sure to tune in. I sit down with one of my buddies and an amazing multi-talented, pluri-talented guy called Robin Boot. I I couldn't even start describing him. All I will say is that the man started off as a professional rugby player, went through I don't know how many careers, and he's now going to the Fringe in Edinburgh to do his third season as a one-man stand-up comedy with his guitar singing songs. And he's actually came on the show and wrote an exclusive original jingle for the unconventionalist at my own expense if you want an unconventional way to give your day a boost then check out the podcast with mark laroost he's got a ton of inspiring guests who will give their insights i can't remember about what the <laughs> Can we start again? You've got to check it out. It's coming out next week. Until next time, remember that you are amazing, that your work matters, and that you so need to get your message out into the world. Until next time, be well. Be well.